I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. One of the things which I'm passionate about is actually being able to develop the whole child when we talk about education, being able to talk about skills and understanding and development where every child is, but also to prepare them for any situation they may have as they go through their educational journey and obviously then into adulthood. So today I'm delighted to be chatting to Rob Hattersley. Now Rob is from 360 Skills for Life and their tagline is prepare for life not just for exams and they're a dynamic social enterprise developing essential skills for life in young people through an interactive learning approach they call discuss, decide and do. They're working closely with partners in the public, private and third sectors and they deliver three integrated curriculum strands of online, in-school and outdoor support. Now their first phase of safeguarding launched in April 2021 and there's a whole range of things they're expanding into as Rob will describe on the show. So I hope you enjoy this. This is 360 Skills for Life with Rob Hattersley. Hi Rob, thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Um, 360 Skills for Life, tell us exactly what's it all about. So 360 Schools for Life uh, has come about due to a need, we think, for real-life education, preparing children for life in the real world, rather than uh, sometimes, if you talk to many teachers, uh, business leaders, uh, parents, uh, school is preparing them for exams rather than real life. So uh, we wanted to cover topics like safety and citizenship. Obviously, there's a strong PSHE element to all of that, uh, but equally things like financial skills, um, and, uh, and the climate emergency, um, active travel, that kind of thing. Um, schools should be, that should be part of the curriculum. Uh, and it's come out of um, a, a series of, or there are centres around the UK actually, called safety centres. And these are sort of warehouses with full-size street layouts built inside, a bit like a film set. Uh, they're often run by the fire service or the local authority or the police. Uh, and children learn practical skills like crossing a street, getting out of a fire situation, um, doing a bit of shopping in a full-size cooperative store, which is always great fun, um, in a real environment. There's no, there's no clipboards, they're not doing any work, they're just learning in a practical context, making decisions. And it's come out of that because um, during the pandemic, um, sadly, um, the two centres I led closed during the pandemic and didn't reopen because um, schools couldn't visit. Um, and during the pandemic, though, we hadn't been um, waiting around. We'd started a digital uh, program to get this online and what we've now created is a virtual street layout actually it's got urban area it's got uh, rural areas as well as urban areas in it called skill city which is designed for school screens it's not for headsets for reasons i can explain um to use um across all key stages eventually initially for key stage upper key stage two and uh, key stage three um to teach some of these skills in a really practical uh, context 
um, and it's a, it's a non -for, it's a not for profit. Uh, we've got NHS funding for our first phase. Uh, we're piloting it in 270 schools in southwest England and Northern Ireland as we speak. Uh, well, probably not as we speak because it's it's the holidays now, but we have been doing it until until last week um, or a little bit earlier in, in Northern Ireland, Scotland. Um, and um, it's a really exciting time because, as I say, it's, it's a really innovative way of doing things because it's a virtual environment and children are presented with genuine situations in realistic environments that they're expected to, uh, or rather, they're encouraged to think through what are the options here. Um, but there are no right or wrong answers, and it's very much, teachers are already telling us, this is starting some really great discussions in the classroom about some real, really difficult life topics. So let's jump into one of the things you mentioned there in terms of, of the flat, the platform you're using and how how young people actually sort of interact with it. Yeah, so it's designed for uh, to be used on on laptops or existing computer screens, or existing um, interactive um, whiteboards, for example, in school. Um, the reason for that is that if you put a headset on a child, it, a it's very expensive, so that would exclude most children at the moment. Most schools can't afford the the, the, the technology at scale yet. We wanted to roll this out really quickly. The educational reason is that this is a tool for getting children to engage with the real world and to talk to each other and discuss things and learn the art of uh, looking for evidence and having discussions and coming to decisions. That's actually still quite difficult on a headset. It's better that they have a screen in a, in a classroom where they're really engaged in it, but then they come away from the screen to have the discussion and the debate and, and, and take part in a lot of classroom activity and outdoor activity as well. Um, so that's why it's deliberately not not VR headset based. Um, the environment is uh, it, it's it's gamified in the sense that children would recognise it. We're told that the children that have used it think it's great, um, so they, they recognise it as a kind of gamified environment. But it's deliberately realistic, so it's not they're not cartoon characters as such. These are kind of real street scenes. There's a dark alley. There's a bus. There was a, a, a row of shops. There's a um, there's a a park, a, a bus stop. Um, it's a real kind of environment. Um, but it's something the children can actually imagine having to walk through and deal with issues like where to cross the road or uh, someone's offering them some drugs or that there's a bit of there's some bullying, online bullying going on. What would, what would they do in those situations? Um, and it can be brought to life in the classroom without the need for an expensive or difficult to arrange visit, you know, school visit. They can use it throughout the whole school year across the curriculum um, and dip in, dip in and out of it as the teacher feels fit. And I think that being able to sort of dipping it out, like I said, with the curriculum and how they feel that it's going to work best is is really important, isn't it? Because otherwise it's that kind of, we're not quite, it's a great idea, but we can't quite fit it in during this area of, of learning or, or this part of the term because we're focusing on other things. And so um, just talk us through a little bit about how you would do that sort of dipping in and out to some extent or how you can actually sort of, like say, make it work for you rather than this week is going to be sort of safety week. Yeah, so we've got um, we've got uh, eighteen missions which are topic based. So we've got um, a number of topics like drugs and alcohol, personal safety, um, reporting um, concerns, um, what to do in an emergency, and there are a number of missions with each of those set for key, upper key stage two and, and key stage three. We are finding at key stage three teachers are tending to do this either in. A, PSH, a regular weekly PSHE slot, so they can pick up each module's got its own lesson plan and, and, and resources. You could use that lesson plan to do several hours of work, or you could use it for a 20 minute um, you know, PSHE slot that you've got um, you know, in form time at the beginning of the day. It's extremely flexible. Um, primaries 
are tending to use it more um, as, as a block, I think, where they're doing sort of six uh, weeks of it, an hour a week, or even a, a day for a day, or having you know, scheduling time, because primaries are, are a bit more flexible and can do that. Um, but again, even at primary level, it's very flexible. If you looked at the lesson plan, there are questions where you could have a quick five-minute chat, or you could actually extend it to be half an hour, three quarters of an hour. We've deliberately not put timings on it. We're not. We don't want teachers to see this as a as a as a sort of uh, just read out these instructions and set the kids off in a VR environment and tick a box and say they've done you know they've done um, drugs education. It's not like that. This is very much about the teacher's skill in using questioning to get children to a, to deal with some quite difficult topics in the classroom. Um, but different schools are using it. Different schools are using it in different ways. It is it's extremely flexible. So you know teachers can be confident that if they try it. They can make it work for whatever environment and whatever planning framework they've got. So it really is sort of bringing a solution to, like, say, the, the types of things that within schools that they're, they're, they're trying to address, like, say, within the topic areas and, and, and how you're fitting it within yeah. those, those curriculums as well. And it is every top, every lesson plan's got links. So, you know, we're sort of saying in this particular lesson, there's quite a lot of literacy here. That I think there's, a, there's, you know, we've got a few things on numeracy and science links as well. It's mainly um, PSH at primary level but there are some literacy links so there are ways you could cover other parts of the curriculum as well um or you could do it as a standalone you know do it as a standalone the, the key thing for us is making it as easy as possible for teachers to say yes i know i've got to do all this um you know statutory stuff um but the kids in my class need this and how am i going to fit that in and with the 360 program you can take a an exciting um virtual reality experience that they could play with for a quarter of an hour and you can have a, a chat about it for a quarter of an hour that's a really valuable, potentially life-changing uh, thirty minutes you can have with your class. That makes you go home thinking, "I've done, you know, I've done the right thing by the kids today, even if I've not necessarily ticked all my curriculum boxes." Um, and you're also incredibly passionate about this, and it's uh, a relatively new venture. Um, tell us, sort of, your, your sort of personal background, professional background, and getting into it, and in, in how it sort of got off the ground. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, te- I was, I'm a, tra- I'm a trained qualified teacher. I was a deputy head teacher. For a few years in a in a in a city primary school, um, I've I've then done I had a, a checkered career after that in that I've I've worked in building site safety for a house builder, which is relevant because it was about it was a schools program. So I visited local schools near every development and talked to them about building sites and safety and got them interested in careers in construction, that kind of thing. That got me thinking. Um, I've th- I then, as I alluded to at the beginning, I managed three of these safety centres for the. Uh, one for the fire service, um, another for a charity that worked in partnership with fire police and the NHS. Um, that was more of physical safety. And what we're doing now is safeguarding. The strand we've launched is on safeguarding because that's what the NHS wanted us to focus on. Um, I've also worked uh, at what's now called the Skills Builder Partnership, um, which is a, a brilliant initiative, um, which... Uh, Started off actually as a kind of careers education, but starting right at sort of reception level with some core skills, which has now become um, a much bigger movement with a lot of commercial support for uh, for core skills development across the whole curriculum and in, and for life generally. Where you focus on um, what do the children need, what sort of attributes do the children need to get out of um, education, like being dealing with difficulties, uh, developing positive relationships, solving problems, working in a team. Stuff employers are looking for, but actually you can apply it to any area of life. And that really made me think, with that experience and the experience of the sort of fire, road, water safety type um, topics I was delivering before, I thought, 
we could do we could do better than this. We've got to provide something that's easy for teachers to use, that is curriculum, you know, relevant to the curriculum, but is preparing them for the real life they're going to face when they're eighteen. And you know, they may not they may have got straight A's all the way through. They may go to a great university, but can they budget? Do they know how to catch a bus? Do they know how to manage their own mental health? Do they know how to deal with a a well-being concern or a concern because they think someone's being abused or is taking or dealing with drugs? All this stuff is what our children are going to have to do within their lives. And yet, I genuinely feel, and I think a lot of teachers do as well, they come out of the system and they're not prepared for that. And what is the point of having all A stars and a top class degree if you don't know how to deal with, with, with real life? You know, It's not one or the other, by the way, it's both. But we've really got to work on this, um, what I call skills for life education. And it, it always reminds me in terms of that sense of, you know, what is school for you know what is education for you know are there certain things that parents and people at home should be doing are there certain things that schools should just be doing on their own and I think the more conversations I have here on the podcast the more I realize it's all about community because there'll be some people who have families in a supported home life where they might have covered and had these conversations but there are certainly some that will have had next to none if any at all um and and so therefore you know the school environment is somewhere which is incredibly important and also we want people to have sort of equal access to all this information because without that then the rest of it like I say becomes irrelevant doesn't it even if they are able to get the the high grades if that is indeed what they're aiming for there'll be many people who won't be able to get anything at all because just literally living their life on a daily basis is going to be a struggle yeah, and I think we need to change how we measure success. Um, I think nationally we've got, probably globally, there's an, an issue as to what, what is a successful education. I think we've got probably the wrong end of the stick a bit about that. The, the other thing I'd say is um, it, I, I'm becoming increasingly aware it's very, you've got to be very careful of saying, oh, this socioeconomic group has got these issues and is deprived of that. And this in this group, they haven't got that issue, but they've got this. It's quite it's quite surprising. They're, you know, We're dealing with, at the, the moment, the the package we've got at the moment we want to build on is on safeguarding and it's quite surprising how many professionals I speak to that say you know there's this image that safeguarding concerns about child welfare is all limited to children in poverty Um, and it's certainly true that that is a massive issue that needs to be tackled but equally there's a lot of safeguarding concerns to to, to, with very wealthy children, children from very wealthy backgrounds who are actually being neglected they may have all the material goods in the world but they're, they're emotionally neglected um, although you know there's still abuse going on in every background, and if children aren't prepared for that and aren't don't know how to get help, then every child is at risk. And we're we're really trying hard at 360 not to prejudge who needs who needs what, because uh, it is quite surprising. It is quite surprising. Um, and how are you finding it in terms of the the schools and the people that have been have, have already sort of taken it on board? What what sort of the feedback coming back in terms of, I guess. The, the ease of using and you've sort of described that already but in, in terms of that ability to kind of marry up that I know I'm covering the curriculum but also you know I want to get these skills across and um, yeah so, so some of the conversations that you're having. Yeah I mean they, we're doing a full I should say we're having a full academic evaluation um, uh, undertaken by Impact Ed which is another social enterprise which we report next year which will have a lot, a lot, a wealth of information on, on, on that topic. The initial feedback we've had, we only launched um, just at the beginning of the summer term, really, so it's still building up. The initial feedback we've had has been really positive, some excellent uh, feedback. Um, the, main, the main feedback in terms of what could be better is from children saying they want everything to move, you know, they want a move, everything to move in the VR environment, uh, which you get on some high-end gaming 
you know, um, systems, but because we've designed it for existing computers, there's not the available memory to do that. So it's a static environment. You can move in it and you can move around and things move when you're in a, a mission, but the environment itself is not a, it's not a video environment, it's a static environment. That was that was the main um, improvement they wanted, which I agree with. And we, when we get the, the, the funding to do it, we'll do it. Um, but the feedback generally, as I alluded to earlier, is this is great because I'm having, it's opening up conversations that would otherwise feel very forced or very awkward with my children. And it's not awkward because they've done a dilemma and they're actually talking about it. The other thing they like is that although it's completely realistic, so in the, in the setup, you are the child or the user that's just come home. You come through your front door and one of your siblings is lying apparently unconscious on the floor in the dining room. What do you do? So you're not observing it from somebody else. You're actually that person. As you look around the room, you, you are the person dealing with that situation. But because it's clearly VR, it's not real in that sense, the children are one step away. So they can talk about it in the in the uh, third person, as it were, or almost as themselves, but it's but it's not them. And teachers are saying that, that is, that's really helpful. Um, we suspect, we haven't got evidence for this yet, but we suspect it might end up in more disclosures because children will, having, you know, that's talking about some of these difficult topics, may end up explaining things about their own life that the teacher may need to take a note of. Uh, that's not the purpose of it, by the way, but it, that, that may be one of the outcomes. Um, but because they can slightly separate themselves from it, children can talk slightly at arm's length about some difficult topics that they couldn't talk about whether if they were saying, I feel like this and I'm worried about that and at home this happens. It's a, it's a slightly separated, um, you know, it's slightly sort of arm's length um, discussion. So the feedback is great. Um, a little bit of feedback from us is that it's, and, and we completely understand this because, you know, both uh, Sue, who's written a lot of the content, and myself are both teachers. Ch schools, as I'm sure you've talked to lots of people about this in your podcasts, schools are under massive pressure. And every few weeks there's a COVID rise or there's something else going on and there's staff shortages. We've got lots of schools that have signed up um, and want to use it, but we've got two thirds of the places taken, but it's still challenging to get schools to log in. And it's just that schools are so busy and we keep trying to emphasise, A, how important it is to the children. Actually, that's what matters. But also it can cover other curriculum areas and it's very easy to implement. So our challenge, um, our feedback to our funders is this is going really well. When, when teachers use it, they're giving excellent feedback. But it is quite a challenge to get teachers to, um, to actually log in and take the time just to you know, spend a few minutes reading the notes and, and preparing the lesson and then delivering it. That is, that is quite challenging. And and I think you're right. There's a certain amount of sort of post-pandemic and everything. There's a little bit of firefighting that's still going on, just in terms of yeah. of everything starting to settle down, as it were. And we're only just, I think, in that sort of um, period of time now. And hopefully in September, fingers crossed. Um, th th there's a little bit more kind of starting with a clean slate. Mm. Um, and and you're right. But I think because of the busyness as well, changing any approach, whether it's um, a platform that you're using or a focus or key sort of slight change in how you're delivering the curriculum anyway however good it is takes that extra time and brain power isn't it and, and I think like I say that's probably just that kind of it's the end of the year we're just literally kind of yeah. get, getting out of all that and and that fresh start in, in the new academic year hopefully would sort of sort of, of, of reset that but it, I think it's that that's the thing about time isn't it it's just making sure that enough people know about it so it can start to get implemented in in a way that's sort of constructive for themselves yeah and i mean schools can start at any time of the year obviously it's great to get it ready for september but they can start it at any point um the other thing that i would if i was a teacher myself now in, with my own class i would like about this is 
There is no planning as such. You've just got to read it and kind of get ready mentally for, for the questions that you need to ask and that kind of thing and, and check that it's suitable. We've always said teachers are responsible for making sure that the dilemmas are suitable for their class because whilst it's age appropriate, there may be some classes where it needs a bit more preparation. depends on the experiences of your children. But there's no marking. There's no sort of planning as such. You just prepare it beforehand and deliver it and you'll have some fantastic conversations with your children. It's great fun. Um, it's not one of those things where you've, you've got to spend hours preparing things and then you've got a pile of books to mark afterwards. It's not, it, it doesn't, it's not like that, which as a teacher I would, I would, I would love. Yeah, so hopefully, that, hopefully that's a good selling point. <laughs> um, and and, and you, you, we mentioned the age there. We should sort of dive into that just a little bit. So yeah. in, in, in terms of you know, a teacher from whichever age group is sort of heading into the platform, how does it then sort of look? Is it then sort of split into, into key stage, into different school ages? How does it work? So phase one, we've already got funded and have launched, um, funded by the NHS, is appropriate for year six, um, possibly year five, depending on teacher discretion, but it's mainly top end, it's transition sort of issues, ready to move to secondary school. Um, and we've got lesson plans and, and resources for that. And then the, then there's another module, which is for key stage three, probably lower key stage three, but again, it's very adaptable. What we're hoping, we're now looking, having launched that and getting it into more schools, we're now looking to extend that all the way down eventually to reception year um, at primary level, um, within the, hopefully within the next 12 months. So that's our next project. Um, we'd, we'd, we'd recommend that, that schools have a look anyway, implement it at year six, primary seven, if you're in, in Scotland or Northern Ireland, and um, uh, and uh, and then once any more resources, uh, including not just extra age groups but other topics that we're hoping to invest in, come on stream, schools get access to that as part of their membership, so they're not charged any extra for that. We haven't mentioned charging, but I ought to mention. I suppose there is a there is a cost to this sometimes. Now, if you're in the southwest, um, there are some funded NHS places. We're working on partnerships with other. Uh, potential partner, partners in you know, police, fire, ambulance, local authority because this helps deliver their objectives as well. So we're working hard to get as many funded places as we can. If there isn't funding in an area of a, for a school, they can fund it themselves for between 180 to £500 for the year, um, which we've deliberately set to be cheaper than running a school trip to a venue. Uh, and the advantage is you can, run it, you can run it all year. And that's just to cover our core costs. We're a non-profit, but we've also got to cover our core costs the, the, the cost of the build, which is much more significant, has been met by the NHS and the Charitable Trust. And and I think that, that really sets the scene nicely, doesn't it, in terms of this is this is a community effort. It's a group effort. You know, when you're talking about, you know, working with those different um, agencies in the NHS and that kind of thing, it, it, it kind of helps everybody in delivering what they need to. But also, like I say, with, the, with, with children at the centre of it, making sure that they've got the skills they need which helps everyone then like I say um deliver what they need to deliver in terms of prevention rather than any sort of having to then sort of mop up after there's an issue which could have been prevented absolutely and one of the key uh one of the we did, we did a survey of schools in dorset which is where we're physically based although we're covering the whole uk um, at schools and schools told us on all these topics we know this is really important no school said these things aren't important but they're not delivered effectively because there are lots of providers, including statutory organisations like Fire Police, NHS, and lots of charities and some private businesses as well. They're all shouting at schools saying, use our resource, use our resource. And it actually takes quite a lot of effort. And I know this because I've done it myself as a teacher. You say, right, OK, I need to deliver some 
drugs education or some road safety education. How do I do it? And I found that, um, you know, in some areas, I could actually get a road safety talk in school from five different providers. And actually, they don't all have the same ethos or the set necessarily the same messaging either. And teachers said, look, for goodness sake, put this in one place. Uh, tell us where to go so that all the research that makes me think, oh, I've got to spend two hours researching this thing now, is all done. A reputable organisation led by teachers has said, right, here's your objectives. Here, here's how it fits in PSHE curriculum or, or whichever part of the curriculum it is. Um, here's some core resource, which is the VR. And here are some follow-up from local providers. And that's how we're, that's how we're, how we're developing it. So that we're getting rid of all that need to research it from teachers. Um, which we hope, which we hope is, is really helpful. And it, what's also nice about it is that at the moment, you know, although we've only only got it's, it's actually a big a big um, there's a lot of material there, but it's only on safeguarding, as in child welfare, child protection. Um, as soon as we get a new module, because it's then switched on for every user, so a, a school that said, okay, we need to we want a classroom element to our safeguarding policy. Let's let's use three hundred and sixty safeguarding. Get an get an email, you know, uh, a week next June. And they say, actually, we've now got a road safety module. Or we've now got a, an outdoor fire module. We're talking about barbecues and, and all that kind of thing. They get access to that. Now, in, a, in the current situation, the people providing the fire safety um, resources would have to individually get through to the school to, do, to use that. But because they're already using this platform, partner A, partner B, C and D all get access to those schools because they're in the same using the same system and we're just trying to join things up because it just seems like there's a lot of brilliant work out there but they're not jo it's not joined up and it's all seen as separate things and from an educational perspective we don't think that um learning to cross a road or not to light a barbecue in a moorland area um or um not to uh, befriend and set share photographs and meet up with someone you don't know on the internet they're actually all the same skill the skill is assessing risk and making evidence-based decisions that's the skill and we're teaching that just simply using all these examples from partners, which makes it far more effective and far more joined up than the fire service doing their own thing over here and the NHS doing their own thing over here and teachers doing their own thing over there, where it's all about the content, not the skill. And I think that's uh, that's obviously a fantastic thing for educators to hear because that, that that's what you want to know isn't it you you've got the you've got the content you've got the access you've got the support you've got the community um and like you say it then gives you that breadth of you know you've got the buy-in and then it's only going to get more it's only going to get easier it's only going to have more breadth to it and i think uh mm. i think that's going to be music to to many people's ears <laughs> mm. um so Let's um let's talk a little bit about your school experience. Is there is there something which you you remember which was really impactful? Is there a teacher that you remember? And and I think this is often fascinating when when you've sort of been in the profession as well, and, and like you say, you've sort of seen it from sort of both sides of the coin. Yeah, I mean, I I, I yeah, that's an interesting, really interesting question. Um, I think my my experience as a pupil, it wasn't negative, but I wouldn't also say that much stood out as being absolutely amazing either. It was. I was a very quiet, nervous pupil, I think. I, I gained my confidence when I went to university. Um, I think the main thing I got out of it was extending the range of people I met because um, my early childhood was quite um, fairly restricted in the, in the number of people from different backgrounds that I met, and it was good to meet new people. Um, and I, I, think, <laughs> I, I think I've used some of my experience. Of, I... I, I I avoided bullies. I was I wasn't bullied not because there weren't bullies, but because I worked out how to how to placate them and and kind of <laughs> avoid them. I just keep a keep a very low profile. 
Um, but that, I mean, that, that is it's interesting that for me that the fact that that was going on at school, and I was in a very you know ordinary state primary middle school and then a secondary. Uh, that was what I remember is is quite in- interesting. And I was well, I was at school from the sort of late seventies throughout the eighties. Um, yeah, I I think as a, and as a teacher, I think I've learned that um, that children who are very quiet often find that they don't fit in. And I've made a real effort as a teacher to make those children feel part of it and that, to find out what they're good at um, and not to always give them one route to something. I mean, the thing that always bothered me as a teacher and as a pupil was um, sport and physical fitness. I've hated competitive sport probably since the minute I was born. I don't know why. Because school, PE, was all about... PE, PE wasn't PE at all. It was sports. And actually that means that there's a whole range of people uh, who grow up hating physical activity because they associate it with competitive sport. And so as a teacher, I've always tried to do a lot of just general keep fit things, you know, cycling, running, um, dance exercises in the class, that kind of thing, because that's the way those children um, would access that. What you know, You've got to ask yourself, what is the objective? And if the objective is healthy, fit, happy children, the answer is not automatically sport. And by the way, that's not to decry sport. I think sport's brilliant. And for lots of people, it is the thing. And that's fine. My point is, I think from from my own experience as a, as a child, instead of getting the kids to fit in the boxes, we need to re- redesign the box sometimes. Yeah, and I think that's the great thing. I think especially in primary, in terms of that breadth and exposure to things, isn't it? Because it's not just about PE, music, humanities, whatever the breadth of curriculum might be and how you sort of engage with that, but all the different areas of of that as well. Like you say, competitive sport or not competitive sport, you know, within the humanities, you know, you might love the history side, but less so the geography side, or you might like one particular part of history, but not other. And it's understanding that you'll find your lane, you'll find your niche and your friends and your tribe and all of that sort of stuff and that just expands as you get older and I think once you understand that there's no like say no right or wrong or has to look like this or look like that and you can walk into that I think is really important and the other thing that you mentioned there which is is so keen I hear it all the time now is that ability to for a child to feel like they've been seen and and it could be a conversation a little bit an understanding about their background a little bit of just kind of yeah we can relate on whichever part of the life it is that we can relate on given given mm-hmm. our sort of circumstances and I, and I think that's such an important factor yeah and linked to that i was you mentioned particular teacher and i do remember a teacher um who retired many moons ago mr robinson um who uh, set as a task to do a, to write a longer biography and i'm thinking first of all of, of a character that interested us and i remember just reflecting on it and thinking that was the first time we'd ever done any properly extended writing because stories always had to be finished within 40 minutes, which is ridiculous. I don't think, I don't think key authors do that. Um, it's just not, it's not realistic. But the other, the other thing that really struck me about him and a couple of other teachers was treating us like adults. Um, now they weren't actually treating us like adults because I was 12 or, or a bit older, um, but they were treating us as, as, as individuals with valid thoughts and views and something to give Um rather than other teachers who treated you basically like an empty vessel that needed to be filled up with the knowledge that they already had and they're just kind of plonking their knowledge on you and you just have to remember it and and you'll do okay and i i you know there was i've got a list of a few teachers in my head who treated you like an adult and you felt you could have a genuine proper conversation and also were passionate about their subject and the best lessons were where you ended up forgetting about the lesson you ended up just talking about I'm a, I'm a geographer, so I do get excited about tectonic plates and things like that. Just talking about something that is of no interest to anybody else, but they're really interested in it, and so are you. Um, 
and that they're the best teachers and the worst teachers are teachers that are bored by their own subject because that is just a killer for anybody <laughs> yeah and like i said we, we all want to connect and, and have a conversation don't we and like i say and yeah. when it's built on real interests and, and real passions i think that's i think it's absolutely key mm-hmm. um now is there a piece of advice you've ever been given that you think has been really important for you and and with that it could also be a bit of advice that you might give your younger self now looking back as a it's an older rob to, to the younger rob that yeah. <laughs> was back <in> school. <laughs> I think um, there's quite a, quite a few examples. It's actually it's not so much advice as a question. Well, it's advising you to ask this question, which is what really matters in a, in any given situation. Um, and that was given to me by the head teacher appointing me as a deputy head. Um, and I think it was a. I don't think I used the advice at the time, unfortunately, as <laughs> she would probably recognise. Um, but. Um, I think I've certainly used it more recently, thinking what really matters here? What What is a battle worth fighting or, or working on? What should I drop? What can I actually change? Um, and just to become more focused. And it helps you to drop the stuff that isn't going to have an impact or that you can't change or that is just deeply frustrating and energy sapping and helps you to just become more effective, really. Um, and, I, yeah, I, I think... Um, at that stage, this is where I wasn't taking the advice. I was a deputy head. I had two young children. Um, I had my own class as well. So I was only a deputy head for half a day a week. So I was teaching the rest of the time. And at the same time, I was running a local community newsletter, which was quite a good newsletter, I have to say. So, you know, eight, nine pages every month. Um, how I did that, I have no idea. But looking back on it, um, I'm sure my kids really did. It wasn't the best experience for my kids with having a dad that was so frantically busy. I should have focused on what mattered and what I could actually have the biggest impact on. Um, and I think that that is something that I, w- I wish I'd known when I was 18. Yeah, and I th- I'm sure, well, I think it's fantastic advice, like you say, when you're making those decisions going forward. And, and I'm certainly educators listening will <laughs> will know with the fact there's only 24 hours in a day, despite the need for about twice that many, just to, mm. just to keep going is, is really important. Mm. Um, is there a resource that's had a big impact on your life? And this can range from anything professional, personal, but a podcast, a video, film, book, song anything that sort of strikes you as being important or impactful you'd like to share? Um, a book would be a Watership Down. Um, it's one of those very clever books that's brilliant as a child, still quite good as a teenager. And as an, as an adult, you think, wow, I didn't, I don't, I didn't see that spot that when I was just, when I had it read to me by my own father. Um, I liked it because it, it, expl- it, I think it's deeply political. It talks about different political systems and how people get forgotten about or or, or engage with things. Um, it it's, it covers kindness and cruelty, and it actually made me think deep quite a lot about environmental issues, which is now something I'm really passionate about. All all in a novel that you can read purely as a great story to read to a seven year old, or as a seventy. I'm not seventy by the way. I was going to say a seventy year old could read it and get you know get quite. Um, you know, get get a lot out of it as well. It's really powerful. The, the video, if I was going to choose a video, um, it's a video and something I actually attended. Uh, is, uh, is Sir Ken Robinson's talk, famous YouTube talk about what's the point of education, what's it for, um, which I, I watched subsequently, but actually uh, saw him in person deliver a very similar talk two years before the video was, was done in Hereford, where I was a deputy head. Um, and that completely changed my... I think that I th- that really completely changed my thinking on education. I think up to that point, I thought the education system needed a bit of tweaking and updating. By the way, I was a deputy head by then, so I'd done my degree. I'd been teaching for um, 10, 11 years. 
and I thought I sort of I've, I've, I've sussed this. Um, that completely turned it turned turned my thinking on it on its head that we are the system the system and lots of teachers break the system so it doesn't do this but the system itself is designed to stuff kids with knowledge that's been actually a lot of it's decided by the Victorians um, and rather than saying actually these children have got skills and attributes and creativity that we need to channel and direct um, and it just blew that the talk blew my mind and is you know it was a huge impact on my thinking it's subsequently as well yeah I mean it is incredible we'll make sure we've got links to these things on the show notes as well and, and I think it's where these conversations are where I get most excited because you know we've sort of expressed both sides of that coin in terms of what you have to do is being in the system but also the fact that with these extra thoughts and this extra idea of being able to make a difference you know you've gone out there and you've created something based on that passion that understanding that knowledge of all these things um and while we may want that magic wand so it looks completely different from tomorrow i think we're all pretty safe in saying that's not going to be the case and even if there's someone with a different view it's still going to be a while for that to happen so hmm. it all comes down to what you can do today and that might be like say visiting the website it might be ha- listening to this conversation getting a, a, an idea of of where these things come from in their sort of origin which then i think gives you a different sense of, of what people are trying to do and, and that's why hmm. why i love it so much hmm. and just as we as we round off Obviously, FIRE as part of Education on FIRE is really, really important. And that acronym comes down to feedback, inspiration, resilience and empowerment. And which of those things just strikes you off the bat is is being important and, and why is that? Um, well, I think they're all important. I think you've got an excellent an excellent set of set of words there. Um, I think one of, I think probably one of my experiences that um, put them all into perspective and uh, they were all very important was um i arrived at west midlands fire service to help develop and open brand a brand new one of these physical safety centers with the full-size street layout um and i had to write the content connect with schools um and we also had to train as part of a team uh set we had, we ended up with 80 i think this, the office is still there actually 80 volunteers most of them not from teaching backgrounds to deliver two-hour or four-hour tours to, to children. Um, and th- that was quite a big task because you've got to you've got to adopt this strategy or the philosophy we've just talked about. This is not about sort of giving the kids information. Don't do this, don't do that or you'll die. Don't do that or you'll die, you know, which actually is, is the approach, I'm afraid, of some people in the safety education community. That's, that's, that's basically how it sometimes works. Um, Instead, we're trying to teach a skill set. So I had to write a set of lesson plans um, for um, at least 12 different dilemmas. We had water, we we had a canal, a real canal. You could actually fall in it um, and get wet. Um, There was a double-decker bus. There was a house that caught fire. We had a shop and a bank and uh, a a real road crossing, all that kind of thing. You had to write the lesson plan, but then the next bit was you then had to translate that to a volunteer who had potentially had no teaching background at all, um, in a in a two hour training session, so that the next week they could then go and start delivering it. Um, and <laughs> feedback was vital, but also the ability to take feedback for me and the volunteers. So we always started by talking about how this we all got to get better. So if I get something wrong, give me some nice feedback about how I could get it better, and we'll do the same for you and create that culture where it's okay to feedback and people don't take it personally. Um, 
the whole thing was inspiring. I mean, I lost count of the number of teachers that said, I cannot believe what that volunteer has done with that child because they came here. They're an absolute nightmare at school. They've listened. They've been engaged. They've been polite. They've loved it. And you're just thinking, why? Why is it different? What's wrong with the system? It's not blaming any individual. What is wrong with the system? That child's had a fantastic learning experience. They've not written a single thing down, but they've been standing up most of the day. They've been pushing buttons and walking upstairs and escaping fires and all sorts of stuff. Um, by a non-teacher. How did that happen? So that, that was really inspiring. Um, it, you had to be resilient because sometimes that did. Sometimes it didn't work. Um, quite often volunteers would revert back to lecturing and telling them what to happen. And you know, occasionally volunteer, it doesn't work for them, they have to leave. Um, and getting enough volunteers was, was, was quite difficult. Um, but, and the empowerment thing was really important. We, we were actually you know, empowering in different ways because we were empowering and giving purpose to a, a set of volunteers who some of them were very young um, and were wondering what to do with their lives and lacking confidence. And we, I know we gave a, a lot of young volunteers confidence that they could do, you know, public speak, they could work with children um, and do, play a really positive role in society. To meet older people that have kind of retired and some may have lost a sense of purpose and want to use a skill set, so it was empowering for them as well. But even more importantly, or equally importantly, um, the children were given or helped develop a set of skills that were applicable in different situations. So yes, you've learned how to deal with a fire situation or how to prevent it. Um, how could that be applied to another situation that's not quite the same? Um, and giving them a sense of control over their lives um, I think was is really really important because I think that the lack of I think people feeling they're not in control is actually a, a lot of the reason for the, you know the mental health crisis actually um, and I think I think giving that control was very empowering I think that's covered F I R E absolutely <laughs> yes absolutely and fantastic and, and, and like I say great to sort of see that in, in in a living example as well which I think I think is really really impactful so. Just uh, just to finish off, then tell people where they can find out more about Three Six Ski Skills for Life and and uh, and the best way to get in touch. So you can find us on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, probably the best way is the website, which is www.360 in numerals um, 360skillsforlife.org. That's 360skillsforlife.org. There's an inquiry form on there, and that'll come through to one of our um, one of our team or myself, uh, and we'll get in, take it get in touch that way and take it from there. Fantastic. Rob, thank you so much for, for sharing it. Thanks so much for creating it and actually uh, and having that fantastic sort of oversight, I think, of like I say, where education is, where education could be and, and that being able to blend all these things together to support every young person. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.